Okay, well, it's great to see everyone this morning. I wish I could see you. Uh, we're used to preaching in a, in a service at Storm Grove, and I just want to say good morning, church body. It's great to, uh, to know that we can still connect. I'm very thankful to uh, those who are helping us today. Michael Capen is here at my house and has set up the camera and, uh, and is helping us to live stream this. I also want to thank the men of our church who, who volunteered to go out to Storm Grove this morning and uh, pick up all the sound equipment and lighting and, and store it because uh, school starts tomorrow and uh, we had not taken it down from the week before. And uh, obviously we all uh, are in a different situation this morning. We normally would have met, like I said, out at Storm Grove, but we have seen a real uptick of sickness in our body in the last seven days. And uh, not only members of the church, but more than half of our staff uh, have been down with sickness. Uh, I'm not saying that it's all uh, the variant. It's not COVID-19 necessarily. For some it is, but for probably uh, the greater majority, it is flu and it's cold. And uh, we just made a, a decision out of an abundance of caution to uh, go ahead and live stream this morning. We haven't done this since, wow, over a year ago, back when COVID first hit. But uh, it's wonderful to know that we can turn to a live stream. We are planning to come back to a live service next weekend at uh, Storm Grove Middle School at 10 a.m. Uh, unless you hear otherwise, but that's our plan right now. And so I uh, just want to thank you for joining us this morning as we get into the Word of God. Before we start, let me also do some housekeeping and mention that for this week only, we are going to postpone the ministries uh, in terms of men's ministry and, and women's and, ch and, and children ministry and student ministry, the Thursday night Bible study. Uh, we will not begin anything this week. Again, just trying to make sure, give the appropriate time for people to recover. We just don't want to put anyone at risk because there was such an uptick of, of sickness. We are afraid to meet together uh, so soon. So next week, we're still planning to meet unless you hear otherwise. So it's just for this week only. Uh, today, I, I want us to turn to 2 Kings, and we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to hit the first a few verses of that chapter and, uh, and just try to talk about faith in crisis. Uh, when we come into a time of crisis, when we come into a setback or a problem in life, do we turn to God? Do we execute our faith in God? And, uh, and then how does God work in times of crisis? We're going to look at these things and we're going to come to some conclusions based on the Word of God in this story. It's a powerful story in the Old Testament, and we'll look at it in just a moment. Before we do that, though, I think it's appropriate that we pray not only for the teaching of the Word, but also for those who are sick. Again, I, I'm telling you, a lot of people are down, and you probably already know that. You know maybe it's in your home, maybe it's a friend, it's another church member that you're very much aware of who is down with sickness. So let's just take a moment and begin with prayer. Uh, there's nothing greater that we can do than pray. And if we don't pray, that is a clear declaration of independence from God. 
We are focusing and trusting in ourselves rather than God. So prayer is what keeps us dependent. It's what keeps us on our knees, humble before God, knowing that unless he moves, we will not get the answers that uh, he wants to bring to us. So let's go ahead and seek him right now. Father, we want to thank you that as a church family here uh, in a very different service, we don't have a regular worship time of singing as we normally would or some of the other things that we do, but we're simply uh, uh, reduced down to a live stream but we have each other, and we have the Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us and bringing us together even though we're all sitting in our homes. And we also have the Word of God. We're thankful for the promises that we can rely upon in these times when we're not able to meet together. I pray, God, for those who have been uh, stricken with sickness, whether it be a variant of COVID or whether it be a cold or a flu, whatever's going on, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would be with each and every member of the church. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we have a God that we can call upon. Because of your great work on the cross, Lord Jesus, the, 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 the veil of the tent was ripped wide open. And we now can boldly go into the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. And so we, we come before you remembering what the hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And we execute that this morning, Lord, lifting people before you. Comfort them, strengthen them, encourage them. Lord, we ask that you would just bring a greater measure of faith into our lives because of these times of difficulty and setback. That we, it would force us to trust you even more. And we would see the hand of our great God move. And we're thankful, Lord, that it's always for your glory that you move in our lives. And we pray that your will be done. And so thank you for today. Thank you for the privilege. Even for those who are facing sickness, thank you that they are able to give thanks to you for the good things that you have done in their lives. And we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Know that the elders have been faithful this weekend especially to just pray for the body. We have continually been as elders texting one another and keeping each other abreast of the various members of our body, both individuals and families that are struggling. It is a very uh, high value and an honor for our elders to pray for you. And we do pray for you. And I would just say this to you. If you're sick and no one has reached out or, or you don't think that people know that you're sick, would you please uh, let us know? You can either call the church office and leave a voice message or go uh, send an email to info, I-N-F-O, info at verobiblefellowship.org. Info at verobiblefellowship.org. We'll get that email and we will begin to pray for you. We want to make sure that the entire body is being prayed for, those who are in need. All right, well, let's get into the Word of God. Uh, again, we're in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. And uh, to kind of set the stage for where we're going and really a presupposition, I want to lay down a foundational truth for us today. I want this to be more than a preaching, a time of teaching. 
This is an opportunity for us to find strength in the midst of trial, in the midst of setback. When you're sick, you wonder, where is God when I need him? And why has this happened? Here we are at the beginning of a new year, and right out of the gate, sickness hits us as a church family. And so what good can come out of that? Well, believe me, a lot of good, because God is in it. God is not apart from it. He's not away from it. He's not uh, ignoring it. He, it's not slipping away from him. He is very much on top of what's happening in each of our lives. And so let me give you a foundation for where we're going today. It's from the book of Hosea, and it's chapter 14, verse 9. Just write it down. Hosea 14, 9. It says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. We should never forget that. The ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. A transgressor is going to stumble over the ways of the Lord. They won't see it as right, even though it is. And, and it's important as believers that we walk in righteousness, that we first foundationally know that our God is over everything, he's sovereign, and his ways are always right. Therefore, we shouldn't stumble in the things that happen on this earth. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts greater than your thoughts. So this is another foundational truth that God has not made mistakes. God is not uh, sleeping somewhere uh, ignorant of what's happening. He very much sees what's happening, and he has a way through it. Because his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. So as we face crises in our lives, it is important to remember that God's ways are different than our ways. You've got to just know that. Don't, don't, when you come into a crisis and it doesn't make sense to you, what does that mean? It means nothing. It means nothing. Because it's not about your ways and your, your understanding of what should or should not happen. It's about you as a believer trusting that God has a way and that his way is right and resting in his way. When we are sitting in a trial or a setback in life, we tend to put God on notice. <laughs> uh, I, I know that because I've done it, and I'm sure you have as well. We begin to make demands of God. We wonder if he's really aware of the crisis that we're in or if he really understands the depth of the crisis that we're facing. And so most, most of us, we want God to work our way, okay? And here's how we think God should work. I wrote down four things. We think first that God should work fast. I've never heard anybody praying, Lord, take your time in answering my prayer. We always want it to happen right away. And then also, we make it a demand. When I ask, I expect an answer. Like he's a genie in the bottle. 
Okay, so we want him to answer fast. We want him to be on demand. We want it to be a big answer. And we also want to know that it's going to be an answer without any suffering on my part. Lord, I, I want you to move, but don't require anything of me. Don't make this difficult on me. I got to tell you, all four of those things, the way man thinks, are wrong ways of thinking. That's not the right approach. It's not too often that we wait patiently on the Lord and simply follow him in his work in the midst of our trial. What's happening at the beginning of the year, a brand new year, 2022. By the way, happy new year. You say, well, there's nothing happy about it. I'm homesick. Well, you're not alone. Believe me. There's a lot of people that are sick right now. But it's still a happy new year. Why? Because God is still on the throne. And God has a right way for us to live this year. And we have to rest in that. Okay? So, so don't forget these thoughts about God. Let me give you some more here. We're not even in our text yet. I don't know. We'll preach by 2 o'clock. We'll get there. But anyway, Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in heavens, in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Did you hear that? Our God's in the heavens, meaning he's higher than we are. He sees everything at the same time. And he does what he pleases, not what we please. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35 it says in the latter part of that verse, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We can't say that to God. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to to the counsel of his will. See, we've been predestined. We've been, our life has been scheduled out according to the plan of God's counsel, what he has decided to do. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man. Boy, that's the truth. We can get up in the morning and come up with all kinds of ideas and plans and goals, but listen, to, and this is the first of the year, and Last week, Scotty Brown gave a tremendous message on, on the new year and how to approach it. But honestly, it says many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. As we begin a new year and sickness has hit some of us, trials and other kinds of besetting things have come into our life here at the beginning of the year, we immediately begin to think, well, where's God? And why is this is a terrible beginning to the year? I'm telling you, God is working his plan. And in his plan, he oftentimes uses trials and setbacks. Why? Because it's in the trial and setback that we're most ready to listen to him. <laughs> when things are going well, we're not really interested in what he's saying. But when trials hit, all of a sudden, we have Mickey Mouse ears. We want to hear everything he's saying. We're closer to the word of God in those times than we are when life is easy and good. So it's real important, friends, that we understand the sovereignty of God over all things. Listen to what Job concluded. He said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
And so Job had to learn that the hard way, but he learned it. I pray that you and I, by the word of God today, will learn this lesson so that we won't try to take matters in our own hands, where we won't get frustrated because things aren't going the way we planned. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord's plan prevails. Let God's plan prevail in your life. Go along with it. Amen? So we can clearly see that nothing happens without God's full knowledge and his sovereignty. It's really important that we understand that. This is a foundational truth that every Christian should build their lives around. The reason we don't often seek his work is because we're trying to find him in our time, in our way. It's hard to see God working in the midst of a, a time of sickness or trial because we have a picture of what it should be. But the reality is, it's the wrong picture. The picture we should have is, it really doesn't matter what I see. What matters is what I know about God in this time. I know that at the beginning, in January of 2022, my God is in control. Amen? That's where we focus, okay? So, the question is, what is God's way? If God's moving and God has a plan and God has a way, what is his way? Well, I'm going to tell you, for every believer, this is the same answer. Here it is. It's the way of faith. God's way is the way of faith. 2 Kings chapter 4. We come to this wonderful story, and I hope that uh, this blesses you as it has blessed me in the time of preparation. So, this is a story of a woman and her two sons. She becomes a widow suddenly and learns that there's a great debt that her husband carried when he was alive. And now that he's gone, the creditors have shown up and they, according to the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, they have the right, when someone cannot pay off their debts, they have the right to take the children and use them as slaves until the debt is paid off or until the year of Jubilee. And for Israel, the year of Jubilee was every seven years. So it's possible that the threat to this woman's two sons is that they will be slaves for up to seven years to the creditors because of the debt. Now, in the year of Jubilee, that seventh year, Whatever is left in terms of debt is erased, so it won't continue after the seven years. That's God's plan. That's God's grace at work in the Old Testament right there. So this story is 2,800 years old, and yet it is relevant in 2022. Really cool stuff. Paul said this about the importance of remembering and learning from those who lived before us. I love this as we prepare to go into this chapter in, in Kings. Paul said in Corinthians 10, he said, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless... With most of them, God was not pleased. So back when Israel was exiting Egypt, they went and lived for 40 years in the wilderness, and God was not pleased. 
for they were overthrown. Now these things took place as, as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed of these examples of the Israelites in the Old Testament, of this widow and her two sons when she reached out to Elisha the prophet. We should read these stories and examine them and learn from them. And the next verse, Paul said... No temptation, has, uh, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It happened 2,800 years ago. It happened uh, 3,000 years ago. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure the time of testing, the trial that you're in. So, 2 Kings chapter 4. Now the wife of the sons of the prophet cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha, Now, let me just say this about that particular verse. This man who passed, her husband, he was in the school of the prophets, Elisha being the prophet of God. And there was a school, like a seminary, a training ground for young men to be raised up to be men of God. He was one of them. But when he passed suddenly, great debt was left behind. And verse 2, And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what have you done in the house, and what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Get as many as you can. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said later, There is not another vessel. And then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest of the oil. Now, this is a powerful story. Look at verse 1 again. Now, the wife of one of the sons of the prophets, when it says sons of the prophets, it's someone who's under that prophet, who is Elisha. 
Your servant, my husband, is dead, and now you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Here's the first point. God is with us in our crisis. God is with us in our crisis. You say, okay, he's with me, I hear you. What's he doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's doing his work in our crisis. He might not be doing your work, what you want done, the way you want it done, in the time that you want it done. But God is working. He's working for two things, for his glory and for your benefit. You see, our lives on this earth as Christians is to bring glory to God the Father. When we bring glory to God the Father, his will is done. So, First thing we learn in the story is that this woman is facing a crisis. She has a desperate need for help. She will only see God's work in her situation when she is willing to join him in his work. And he's told her what the work is. She has a problem. I need help. She reaches out to the man of God. Interestingly, the man of God, Elisha, is not present. This is a word that was brought to him about the woman. He responds to whoever the servant or the person is, the messenger, and they take the message back to the woman. It's made very clear to her from Elisha what God is saying she should do. I want you to go and gather empty vessels from your neighbors, and I want you to lock the doors of your house and begin pouring from that little flask of oil that you have into these larger vessels. And keep pouring until all the vessels are filled. That's what God was doing. And she's probably thinking, what does it matter that I have a little bit of oil? What does it matter that, uh, that you, you, we would have to go and gather all these empty vessels? That's not going to answer my problem. My husband's dead. I've got creditors wanting to take my sons. I need real answers for real problems. And God is trying to convey to her, I am working here. But what I'm trying to do is grow your faith as I do this work. The question is, will we join God in his work or will we try to handle the matter in our own way? One requires faith, the other requires flesh. To simply sit back and try to think through and come up with our own answers is to walk by the flesh, not by the spirit. To follow God is to walk by faith. Without faith, the scripture says, it is impossible to please the Lord. Isn't that what we're after in life? To bring glory to his name, to bring honor to his name, to please the Lord. Well, guess what? If that's your goal in life, you better walk by faith at the beginning of a new year when you're sick. That's what's required of us. Knowing that God is working. He is at work. Now, understand one thing. Life's difficulties have nothing to do with bad luck or random circumstance. It's just part of life. Everybody, both righteous and unrighteous, face trials and problems in life. Bad things happen to, and look what I'm doing, good people. Why did I do that? Because there are no good people. Every one of us has sinned. Therefore, every one of us has earned one thing from God who is perfect. We've earned death. 
The wages of sin is death. If God is a true judge who never makes a mistake, then he has to put us to death because none of us are perfect like him. But that's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. That's why he became God incarnate and lived a perfect life. Fully God and fully man went to the cross, took on our sin, and he substituted his own life for ours. He was put to death in our place. And because of that now, if we have faith, if we trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, we are forgiven of our sins. We have peace with God. We will not experience the wrath of God against our sinfulness, but we will experience peace and joy and contentment for all eternity. That is the work of God. It requires us to walk by faith. Bad things happen to good people. But the reality is, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have many trials and tribulations. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. This is who Jesus is. He is your provider. He is your savior. He is your sanctifier. He is your deliverer. So where is God in our time of great need? He's closer than you know. He is right on it right now. He is with you in your home right now. The Holy Spirit, if you're saved, if you've come to Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit is in you right now, desiring to do God's work God's way. The question is, will you step out in flesh? and buck against the will of God, or will you surrender by faith and simply walk in the promises of God's word? That's what it comes down to. Okay, now this is interesting. The Bible numerous times in the Old Testament says, God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. One of the most famous places that that quote is given is found in Deuteronomy chapter 31. What was happening at the time that God said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you? I'll tell you what was happening. At that time, there was a real problem with the Israelites. They had a leadership crisis. Moses just made the announcement, I'm not going into the land with you. I'm not going to be able to pass over into the land. Their leader is about to step aside. What's going to happen going forward? Well, Moses made it clear what God said. Joshua will be your leader. And let me just read for you this, okay? Listen to this. He said in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 31, And the Lord will give them over to you, all the people in the land. When you go over, God's going to give you the people that are over in the land. And you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Listen to what he says, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread for them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. As you enter this trial, this great pressure that you're going to be under, this, that's going to require endurance for you to win, know that I'm with you. And then he says this. He will not leave you or forsake you. This is a time of great crisis for Israel, 
and God makes the announcement through Moses, God will not leave you in your crisis. He's going to be with you. And then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, Joshua, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. This morning I want to say to you, church, it is the Lord who is before you in your trial, in your setback. It is the Lord who is before you as we enter a new year. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Twice in this passage, God makes it clear, you're not alone. I'm with you, I'm before you, and I'm doing my work. Just because you can't see his work doesn't mean he isn't close, close by or isn't working. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The trial brings persecution. It brings uh, a heaviness, a pressure. But that is good for us because that pressure now gives us the opportunity to endure, to trust God in a time when we know we can't fix the problem ourselves. And as we trust God, our faith gets stronger and stronger and we come out way ahead of where we were before the problem came upon us. That is where we are today. That is what God is saying to us as a church today. Know that as you face hardship, God is near unlike any other time. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Listen, when it says that, that uh, we will not, that we'll be delivered from all sickness, all disease, what he's saying is, you will be with God for eternity. You will not face sickness in eternity. Amen? Heaven does not have sickness. Praise God. So what, whatever you face on this earth, whether God delivers you here or doesn't, you will get delivered by God. Amen. Okay. So what is God's work in my crisis? His work is to broker my crisis to draw me back to him. He's going to use my crisis to draw me closer to him, to strengthen my faith in him. Why does he wait until I'm in a crisis to do this? Because that's when I'm most willing to listen. Where is God in my time of crisis? That's what we're asking. What we should be asking is, how is God using my crisis to grow me today? See, that's a different prayer, isn't it? Rather than crying out to God, where are you when I need you? I can't believe you're letting this happen at the beginning of a new year. This is terrible timing and blah, 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 blah. When you ought to be saying, Lord, what are you up to? How are you going to use this in my life to grow me in 2022? Already, isn't this wonderful? Already at the beginning of a new year, we have this trial that God has brought to us so that we can grow and we can develop and we can grow in 2022 
in ways we never grew in 2021. Isn't that wonderful? That's how we have to see it, okay? Number two, he uses what we already have. Sometimes the greatest work of God is in the smallest and the most insignificant things. Our tendency is to think that we don't have what we need to fix the problem. That's why it's a big problem. Because I can't fix it. But the reality is we should be thinking, I can't fix the problem, but God can. It, it, see, that, that, that takes faith. It's not by materials that we can see how God's going to fix it. I don't even know what his plan is. I just know God is bigger than the problem. And so I trust in him. Look at verse 2 in our text. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil, which really was a flask of oil. It was used to anoint the body. So she's thinking, I don't have anything, just a little oil. What's that going to do with a problem so big? Just a little oil. There are times when we don't know how to pray for what we need. Well, God knows what we need. So this is when we need to just submit to God and allow him to do it his way. Okay? What this woman didn't realize is that the greatest thing that she had working for her was a little oil. <laughs> That's all she needed, a little oil. Notice, she didn't say, I have nothing. She said, I have something, just a little oil. That's all I have. But she answered the question honestly and accurately. She acknowledged what she did have. Can you do that today? You say, well, I have sickness. I have misery. I've got headaches. I've got, eye, the, I've got a burning sensation behind my eyeballs right now, pressure. I feel sick. I'm coughing a lot. But can you admit what you have beyond the sickness? What do you have? You say, well, I don't have much. That's okay. She didn't have much either. She had a little oil. What do you have? Don't you know that God can take whatever you have and use it for his glory and for your benefit? She had more than nothing. She had something. Don't call something nothing. Something is something. Okay? You say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, let me explain it to you this way. What are five loaves and two fish to 5,000 men? Nothing to us is something to God. He can feed everybody with that. What are the words at a wedding feast? We're out of wine. What does that mean to you and I? It means we have nothing, no wine. What does it mean to God? Something. Now God can do a work that's a miracle in our midst. What do the words we fished all night and didn't catch a thing? What did that mean to Jesus? <laughs> it doesn't matter that they didn't catch fish. You could catch fish when God's in it. And that's exactly what they did. See, God's way is to work through what we have. But we have to give the little that we have to Jesus. It just, it's just a little faith. Maybe that's all you have. I just have a little faith. That's all you need. You need faith. Everybody ought to have that. We all have it. Are you using it right now? Because God can take that little faith and he can do a wonderful work through the problem that you're facing in life. See, if God often uses what I have in my crisis, what exactly is it that I have that he can use? What is your something that God can use, even though you think it's nothing? Okay, let's think about that. Well, you have the promises of God's word. That's something. 
you have the ability to pray to God. Are you going to call that nothing? That's something significant. You, you belong to God's church. You're part of his fellowship. You have brothers and sisters that you can call upon for prayer, for encouragement, for support. That's nothing. That's something. Amen. Friends, from God's view, we have all that we need when we face trials or problems. You might be thinking, what can God's promises do when I'm facing a real crisis? Well, when David walked down into the valley to face Goliath, and all he had was a sling, the giant looked at that little boy, David, and he said this, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. That's often what the trial, the problem, the setback in our life is saying to us. I'm going to rip your life apart. But David looked at his problem, Goliath, and he said this to Goliath, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you with a sling. No, that's not what he said. He said, I, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. David's saying, I don't care that you have a javelin and a spear and a sword. You just came against God. You taunted the one true and living God. All I need is a sling, if God chooses to use a sling. And you're going down, big boy. And that's exactly what happened. He handed him over. God gave over to David Goliath. God conquered the problem that was facing David. God can conquer the problem that you're facing in life as well. Number three in our story, God does what we cannot do. The problem with that statement is many of us think we can do. We just are not going to give in. We seem to think that we're self-sufficient. I can make it happen. I've got enough money in my account. I can fix this problem. And God's like, go ahead. Have at it. Do it your way. And what you've done when you take that attitude is you've taken the hands of God and you have said, by tying them behind your back, I don't need your hands, Lord. I'll handle this myself. Now you take your hands and you go to work to fix your problems. When what God is wanting us to recognize is that God has everything he needs to fix our issue, to fix our problem. God can do what we can't do. And when you take that attitude, here's what you're saying. Father, here are my hands. My tendency would be to get my hands involved and try to fix my problem. But Father, I'm going to walk by faith. And you take your hands and you put your hands behind your back so that God's hands are free to work. See, that's what we want. Look in verse 3. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. See, God's testing the widow's faith here. Why would she gather empty vessels? How can that possibly help her situation? Because God's wanting to see if she's willing to be obedient, to tie her hands behind her back and just do what he tells her to do. You and I have the opportunity every day to study the word of God, know the promises of God, and walk in them, tying our hands behind our back, trusting God by faith.
Then go, she said, or it says, then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when the one is full, set it aside. So God's telling us how to take care of the problem. The God's promises tell us how to take care of the problem. When, it, when you come and do a trial, does it say, well, just really become impatient and really worry as much as you can because that's going to make all the difference. No, it says, don't worry. Jesus says, tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Just go ahead and rest like the bird, rest in knowing that just as God is providing for me today, he'll provide for me tomorrow. See, that's resting in the Lord by faith. That's what's required of us. But see, what happens is it's so difficult for us to walk by faith it's too easy to walk in the flesh rather than in the spirit. I, I, I'll give you a great example of that in my life. And the beauty of God that even in my inability to see God's working in my life and me trying to make it happen on my own and, and, and bucking against God's will, yet he still did something beautiful out of it. So if you're this morning, if you're saying, man, I've just failed so many times and you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm not a person of great faith, and I've, I've trusted in myself. Listen, God still uses that. Now, he wants you to walk by faith because that's how you grow. That's how you mature spiritually. But don't think for a second that God doesn't even use our, our setbacks. Uh, there, there was a, uh, back years ago, my son Mark and I were, went down to Miami to the old Orange Bowl. What a great place that was. We wanted to go see the Miami Hurricanes. That's our football team. And so we went down, <coughs> and uh, uh, my brother uh, knew the track coach at Miami. His name is Rodney Price. And so uh, he gave me Rodney's number. We talked, and Rodney said, Greg, come on down. I'll give you good tickets. I'll get, I'll get you in. I said, wow, that's awesome. We get down there. We were supposed to meet uh, outside of one of the end zones, outside the gate. And uh, we stood there waiting, and now the game is starting. We can hear the band coming off the field, and we know it's about to start, and there's no Rodney. We can't see him anywhere. About that time, I said to Mark, step over here. We stepped off the sidewalk where people were busily trying to get by to get into the stadium, and I said, let's pray and talk to God about this. And so we prayed and said, Lord, you brought us here. You provided tickets through Rodney. And so we're just asking, Father, that you would allow us to see Rodney and you would, that you would meet our need and we would get the tickets that we need to go into the game. And we, it, the whole prayer took maybe 30 seconds tops. Now, I had money. I could have purchased tickets, but I, I, I really trusted God. I wanted God to move. And I wanted Mark to see how God can move. And so um, we just step back there and we're waiting and people are rushing by a lady walks right up to me and says do you have tickets and i said well no but i've got a friend who's bringing tickets to us so so uh, he should be here any minute she goes okay now i just prayed and asked god to provide tickets and i just turned down tickets and she starts walking away and uh she took about 10 steps and stopped and turned around and came back it's like lord said he's hard-headed just go do it again she walks back and says, sir, here are two tickets in case your friend doesn't show up. And she gave me the two tickets, handed them to me. I said, thank you. We waited a couple more minutes because I, I wanted to honor Rodney, tried to help us. We didn't see Rodney. Now we, the, the kickoff's taking place. I said, let's go on in. We went in. These tickets were on the 50-yard line, like, like 10 rows up. These were prime tickets at the ball game. 
We got to watch the game. God provided. But see, in my stubbornness, out of my flesh, I had a picture for how God could help us. I didn't allow God to be God. I put him in a box and said, Lord, okay, provide tickets. Where's Rodney? Have Rodney meet us. Rodney didn't, we didn't see Rodney. And God said, I'm not worried about, I don't need Rodney to get you in the game. I'll, I'll provide a different way. And he did. Now you're saying right now, okay, that's ridiculous. That's by chance that that happened. That was not God, okay? Let me tell you the rest of the story. So that night on the way home, I called Rodney Price. I said, hey, Rodney, I missed you. He said, man, I waited. I, I couldn't find you. We were at the wrong end zone. He was standing there the whole time waiting to give us tickets. But God uses our mistakes. So the next Sunday, which was the next day, because that was a Saturday game, on Sunday, I was sharing a message on faith, and I just relayed my lack of faith in that story and how God provided well, a young teenage man, he was probably, he wasn't a young teenager, he was an older teenager, uh, Charlie Metcalf and his girlfriend, Carrie Stafford, were sitting there with the youth over on the left side as I was preaching in Palm Beach Gardens. And he heard this story. He had been dating Carrie for a while and coming to church. He was from Wellington High School, and, and, and he was a skeptic. He was not a believer. And when I relayed this story about how God provided tickets, he started laughing and giggling. And he said, God didn't do that. That's by chance. That was coincidence because he's a skeptic. So I didn't know he was laughing, but he goes to school the next day at Wellington High School. And this is Monday now, two days after the game. His science teacher shares at the beginning of the class, he's a believer. And he says, you know, we went down Saturday to a ball game and, uh, and we saw a man and his son standing there, and my, wealth, my wife felt compelled of the Lord to walk over and ask him if he would like two tickets. And we were able to give two tickets uh, to a man and his son. And Charlie Metcalf is in that class, and he cannot believe what he's hearing. It totally transformed his life when he saw God moving in such a mysterious way. Do you know what Charlie's doing today? Charlie is a pastor in LaGrange, Georgia, pastoring a church. You see, God's always working, church, whether we can see it or not. I'd love to say to you as we close, man, whenever we trust God and put our hope and faith in God, that he's moving, that it always works to our advantage. It always works the way we want it to. That's not true. Now, I will tell you, it always works to God's glory. And in the end, in eternity, we'll see that it was the right thing that God was doing. I'm going to close with a story for you. This is a story that's told, and, and I, I just want you to listen, if you will. It's a story of a couple, Susan and Marshall Shelley. She writes this in, in a woman's journal. And I read this probably 15 years ago. No, actually, it wasn't that long. It was, it was 2008 that I read this. She said, in silence, we watched the embryonic motions as Dr. Silver manipulated the ultrasound, measuring the cranium and the femur and viewing the internal organs. 
Is everything okay, I asked. Well, let me complete my examination, and I'll give you a full report, he said. I noted that his evasive answer uh, was concerning and hoped that it was merely a standard procedure. Moments later, he announced his observations in a very matter-of-fact voice. We have some problems. The fetus has a malformed heart. The aorta is attached incorrectly. There are missing, there are missing portions of the cerebellum, a club foot, a cleft palate, and perhaps a cleft lip. Possibly spinal bifida. This is probably a case of trisomy 13 or trisomy 18. In either case, it is a condition incompatible with life. Neither Susan nor I could say anything. So Dr. Silver continued, it's likely the fetus will spontaneously miscarry. If the child is born, it will not survive long outside the womb. You need to decide if you want to try to carry this pregnancy to term. We both knew what he was asking. Susan found her voice first. Though shaken by the news, <coughs> she said softly but clearly, we believe God is, is the giver and the taker of life. If the only opportunity I have to know this child is in my womb, I don't want to cut that time short. If the only world he is to know is, is the womb, I want that world to be as safe as I can make it. We left the medical center that July afternoon stunned and saddened. Pregnancy is hard enough when you know you're facing, uh, you're going to leave the hospital with a baby. Uh, I don't know how I can go through the pain of childbirth knowing I won't have a child to hold, Susan told Marshall. Summer turned to fall and we were praying that our son would be healed. Okay, there, there, that's a good prayer. That's the right prayer that we should pray as God's children requesting healing. And if a long life were not given, or were not God's intentions for this child, we prayed that he could at least experience the breath of life. Well, even that request seemed in jeopardy as labor began on November 22nd. And as the contractions got more severe, signs of fetal distress caused the nurse to ask, should we try to deliver the baby alive? Yes, if at all possible, short of surgery. Sharon replied, or I'm sorry, Susan replied. They kept repositioning Susan and gave her oxygen and the fetal distress eased. And then suddenly the baby was out. The doctor cut the cord and gently placed him on Susan's chest. He was a healthy pink and we saw his chest rise and fall and the breath of life. Thank you, God. Then almost immediately he began to turn blue. We stroked his face and whispered words of welcome, of love, and of farewell. And all too soon, the doctor said, he's gone. Within minutes, our pastor, our parents, and our children came into the room. Together, we wept, held one another, and took turns holding our son. My chest ached from heaviness. Death is enormous, immense and unstoppable. 
The loss was crushing, but mingled with the tears and the terrible pain was something else. I'm not sure I can describe it. At the births of my three older daughters, I felt the miracle of birth, that sacred moment when a new life enters the world of light and air. The pre... Uh, the, I can't even see because I'm on my tears. The pneuma, the breath of life, fills the lungs for the first time. Now this moment was doubly intense because the miracle of birth was followed so quickly by the mystery of death. The pneuma was here and now gone. It feels like eternity just intersected earth, I said to my pastor. The pain of grief was diminished, not at all, but it blended with the weight of overwhelming wonder at the irresistible movement from time to eternity. Do you have a name for the baby? Asked one of the nurses. Toby, Susan said. It's short for a biblical name, Tobiah, which means God is good. We had long thought about the name for this child. We didn't particularly feel goodness at the moment. The name was what we believed, not what we felt in the moment. That's the thing about God. His ways don't always make sense to us in the moment. But in eternity, he will wash away every tear. Let's pray. Father, in this beginning of the year, a season that already has started with trial and setback for some. For others, it's gone beautifully and it's a good beginning. But Lord, there are those, a wave of sickness has hit our community and hit really our nation and beyond. And we're feeling it as well. And we shouldn't be surprised. The scripture says the sun rises on the just and the unjust alike. And so Lord, in this time, we we turn to your word and we find our faith, we find our strength in the word of God. We thank you that you're a God that even in the midst of this setback, you are very much at work in our church. You're very much at work in our personal lives, our individual lives. You want to bring glory to your name through the name of our church, Lord, by us living by faith, walking by faith, caring for one another, loving one another. And you want to bring glory to your name through our own individual testimony that we show people that when we face trials, we don't turn away from God, we turn to him. And we walk by faith, we don't walk by sight. I pray, Lord, that we can all say today, amen and amen to this foundational truth. And that as we face the days to come, that we will be a people of faith. It would be determined by your will to test us, to grow us, to mature us, and that we would pass the test as people of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful day.